0: We're going to study today a sicha, a talk for the Rebbe on this Shabbos that precedes Pesach. The Shabbos that precedes Pesach is always called the Shabbos Hagadol, the big Shabbos. That's what it's called, Shabbos Hagadol. A lot of uh, rabbis like to make long, big speeches because it's the big Shabbos. So there's always a question, of why is it called the Big Shabbos. So how do we figure out, where Where do we look to see why it's called the Big Shabbos? So the best place to look is into the Shulchan Aruch, the Code of Jewish Law. Because the Shulchan Aruch is our guide, as the words itself says it, that it's the, it's a, prepared, a ready-set table of all the Jewish law and content that we need to know. It's basically the summary of hundreds and hundreds of, or even maybe 2,000 or more or uh, years or 2,500 years of studying of Torah. And the culmination of it is in the Code of Jewish Law and the Shulchan Arach. So if we take, for example... Our The first Chabad Rebbe, the Alter Rebbe, is Alter Rebbe's Shulchan And we look into there and we learn in the laws of Pesach what he has to say about this Shabbos before Pesach. And Alter Rebbe says the following. He says, on the Shabbos before Pesach, we call it the Big Shabbos. Shabbos Hagodol. Why? What's the reason that you call it the Big Shabbos? Because it's on this Shabbos that a it's it's because of a big miracle, a Nes Gadol. A big miracle that happened in Egypt. What happened? So there was a commandment on the 10th day of the month of Nisan. So to, tonight, let's say, is the 8th day. So it would be in... Um, so the 8th day would be this year on Thursday... Friday would be the ninth, and Shabbos would be the tenth. This year, the setup of our calendar, of the calendar is exactly the same as it was in the year that we left Egypt. So it would be on this Shabbos, it would be the, which was the tenth of the month of Nisan, Be'asr Lachodesh. And as the verse states in the book of Exodus and Parsha's Bo, that Hashem said that Be'asr Lachodesh on the tenth day of this month, you every Jew should take a set, should take a sheep or a lamb, you should take to your house for your household, and etc. Which basically the verse says you should tie it to your bed. And <speaking in> hayoyim <Hebrew> Shabbos That year the tenth of Nisan was on Shabbos. And when you when you took this animal, what was the point of it? It what the point was that you're going to take it, you're going to use it for your Pesach offering that you're going to bring right before you leave Egypt on the 14th of Nisan, which basically will be on the Wednesday, right before you leave. Now, when the Jews took this animal and we tied it to our beds, on that year, which was Shabbos, what happened? All the firstborns of Egypt came to the Jews, Vishalum, and they asked the Jews, Lama Kach, why are you doing this? What are you doing? Why are you taking these lambs? What's the point of this? Remember, the Egyptians already went through nine plagues. There's a tenth plague hovering over their head that on the 14th or Wednesday night, all the firstborn Egyptians are gonna die. But in the meantime, they come running to the Jews. What are you doing? Now, the background why they were so curious was because the Egyptians were big idol worshippers and they would worship lambs. That was one of their big deities. So they had come to the Jews and they say, Lama ze Why are you doing this? Amr lahem. to the Jews, you should answer to them, Zevach Pesach This is an offering for a Pesach that we are going to offer up to God. Why? Because God, as a thanks to God, who is going to kill the firstborns of Egypt. Wow. Imagine this. You told us straight to their face. Why are we taking your deities? And we're and we're putting tying it up, getting it ready because in four days we need this animal to sacrifice to God for what He's going to do—the miracle—and all your first, all you firstborns are going to die. So, what happened? All the firstborn Egyptians ran home to their fathers, and they also ran to King Pharaoh, and they begged them, "Please, please." Allow the Jews to leave, send them away, let them go, let them leave Egypt. Because they were frightened that they're going to die and we're taking their deities at the same time. But neither did their parents, neither did King Pharaoh change their minds. They were not willing to let this happen. They were not willing to let the Jews go. So what happened? It became a civil war in Egypt. And all the firstborn Egyptians started a war between each other. And because they were all saying that you should let them go. Don't let them go. Everybody was fighting and you are are scared that it's going to happen, not going to happen. And they started to beat up each other and they started to kill each other. And many firstborn Egyptians were killed by their own brethren, by their own Egyptian firstborns. Says the Shulchan Aruch, that this is why the verse says, Lemake mitzrayim for the striking of the Egyptians by their firstborns. That's what the verse says, that they were struck down by the firstborns, meaning that the firstborns alone Struck down each other. So for this unbelievable miracle that happened in Egypt, that they themselves killed each other, we didn't even have to kill them; they themselves killed each other. Kavu on the Dorus. We have established this miracle to be a remembrance for all future generations on the Shabbos. And therefore, this Shabbos is called Shabbat Hagadol, the big Shabbos. So this is what the Alter Rebbe says. This is basically his reason that he brings down. Obviously, he's bringing it down from the Talmud and all over the place. But this is the conclusion. Reason is why it's called the big Shabbos. To remember this unbelievable miracle that we didn't even have to kill them They and they were killing themselves. They took care. They did the job for us by themselves asks the Rebbe on this that we have to understand, and he has two questions. Number one, he says, "Why does the Alter Rebbe call this a big miracle?" In other words, you're saying that it's because of a big miracle that the Shabbos is called Shabbos Hagadol. Just say it's a regular, just, not say it's a regular. Just say it's a miracle. Why do you have to call it Neskadol? It was a big miracle. What would be different if we said this is a miracle? What's the emphasis to say this is a big miracle? It's a big miracle that they killed each other. Just call it a miracle. In other words, what's the advantage here by calling it a big miracle and not just say it's a miracle? If you were to say that it was a miracle, that alone is a good enough reason to call it the big Shabbos. Why? Because this is the Shabbos where it happened different than all the other Shabboses of a year. So just call it a, a miracle happened and therefore this is called the big Shabbos. There's no other Shabbos during the year where we have such a miracle. So the first question is why do we have to call this a big miracle? Number two, that also needs clarification it's not understood stood here. Why is this really a big miracle? What is the big miracle here? Seemingly, there's nothing so great about this miracle. When you think about it, there's nothing so hot about it. What happened? Think about it. This, is, this Shabbos is, is the same date this year, 10th of Nisan. It's on Shabbos, four days before we leave Egypt, right? Because we leave on Wednesday night, Thursday. That's going to be the 15th of Nisan. But what's the big miracle that happened on Shavu? Is that the Egyptians killed each other? You know, when you think about it, what was the gain even of this miracle? Did we leave Egypt the next day? On the Sunday? No! Even after they killed each other, the Jews still stayed in Egypt. And we had to wait until the plague where all the forest burns died on literally the beginning of Passover in order to let us to allow us for Pharaoh to change his mind and say, go. So what was the benefit of this big miracle? You're saying it was such a huge miracle on this day, on the 10th of Nisa, which was Shabbos, that what happened? God said, prepare your Pesach offering. And the Egyptians came to came and asked, why are you preparing this? And we had to answer, why are we preparing it? Because we're going to have to shuck these animals. We're going to have to slaughter them in four days But at the time when you're going to have the plague of the firstborns and the Egyptians went to their parents and they went to Pharaoh to try to convince him to go and they didn't want to let them go. So they started killing each other. But what was the point of this whole miracle? I get it. It's a big thing that they killed each other. But what was the gain of it if we if that didn't help for us to actually leave Egypt? So we're making a whole big to do and we're calling this the big Shabbos, but. What is really what is really the big miracle there? So two questions. First of all, why are you calling it big miracle? If you just said a miracle happened, that would be a good enough reason to make this a nice big Shabbos. And second of all, why is it a big miracle at all? Seemingly it does not a big miracle. We still stayed in Egypt. So those are his two questions. Now here comes now. Uh, Another point that we have to analyze. We're saying is that the Shabbos before Pesach has been an established time to remember this miracle for all future generations. But it's very interesting. We all know that all holidays that we have throughout the year, we celebrate them based on the day of the month, not the day of the week. Meaning, when did this miracle happen? God told us on the 10th of the month. It happens to me that the 10th day of the month, that year was on Shabbos. But at the same time, why don't we make every year the 10th of Nisan to be a big day? Why do we make it the Shabbos before Pesach is a big Shabbos? You should call every year the 10th of Nisan. Just like Pesach. Pesach is the 15th day of the month. We don't say every year on Thursday that's going to be Pesach because we left on a Thursday. We don't say that. We base it on the day of the month. All the holidays, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, Hanukkah, Purim, Pesach, Shavuos, everything is based on the day of the month. So why here when you're saying it's such a big day that we're going to establish this date as a miracle date, a big miracle that happened to be remembered for all the generations? And when do we do this? remembering on the Shabbos before Pesach. Why don't we do it on the 10th of Nisan before Pesach? On the day of the month. So for this, the Altarebbe himself explains this reason. And he says like this. He says, you have to understand that on the 10th day of the month of Nisan, the Jews also suffered many years later. We suffered a a terrible loss. Miriam Moses, his sister, who was older than him, by 10 years. Moses, sister Miriam, and Moses and Aaron had an older sister Miriam. And Miriam died on the 10th of Nisan. That's her yard site. So it wasn't fear that we should celebrate every year the 10th of Nisan as a big miraculous day to remember, if it's also a sad day that we have to remember the passing of Miriam. So we did, We kind of didn't want to make it into a festive day if it's Miriam's site. Now, you have to remember that Miriam was a very special woman for the Jewish people for a number of different reasons. But I'll just give you, he doesn't bring it down here, but just so we could uh, you know, refresh our minds. First of all, without Miriam, there would have never been a Moses. We all know the story that after um, Aaron was born, a little bit later, Maybe a, I don't know how long years later, I mean, a year or two later, there was a pharaoh made a decree that all the boys will have to be thro- born will have to be thrown into the Nile River to be killed. So Aaron and Moshe's uh, father, his name was Amram, and Amram said, "Let's. I'm going to get divorced. What's the point to be married if there's a fifty percent chance we're going to have a boy and he'll be killed?" Miriam came home one day and she said, "Daddy, where's Daddy?" Mom says that Daddy left. He left the house. We got divorced. She goes running to her father. And she says, why did you get divorced? He says, because I did not want to bring a child into this world that has a 50% chance to be killed. And Miriam says to her father, what only a little Jewish girl could tell this to the father. She said, dad, you're worse than Pharaoh. He says, worse than Pharaoh? Why? So she says, daddy, listen, Pharaoh wants to kill only the boys. But if you're not going to bring to this world no boys and no girls, then you're worse than him. So Amram says, my little daughter, you're so sweet, you're right. I'm coming back home with you. And they remarry and they have baby Moshe. So without Miriam, there would be no baby Moshe. Later on in the story, Moshe is put into a basket right, to float out on the water because they were scared to have him in the house, he would be killed. Who stands at the Nile Bank to wait to see what's going to happen with this baby? Miriam. When the Jews leave the splitting of the sea, who gathers together all the women to sing songs and bang with their tambourine music and praise God? Miriam. So Miriam's a very important prophetess here. She's a very important woman. So when Miriam dies, it's a serious day. We have to contemplate, think about this. So since that happened also on the 10th of Nisan, therefore... The sage has said, let's celebrate in this particular case. Let's do it on the day of the week, which is Shabbos. Let's call it the big Shabbos. Instead of celebrating it on the 10th of Nisan, which is her yard site. So sensitivity to this. But the Rebbe asks a simple question. He says like this. Everything in the Torah is exact and precise. There's no such a thing of a detail in the Torah that's off. Everything is exact. Well, if that if that's the case, besides being for a negative thing that happened, and that's why we're saying that it's the big Shabbos is celebrated to remember this miracle. We do it on Shabbos, not on the day of the month, only on the day of the week. He says, That's only the negative thing that happened that causes us to make a big to-do on the Shabbos day of the week, not the day of the month. But what's the positive reason why it's on Shabbos? There has to be also a positive reason. You can't say that we make this into a big day to remember a miracle only because of, you know, there was a negative thing that happened. There must be also a positive reason that drives the agenda to celebrate this and call it the Big Shabbos, not just because of the negative thing, because of a sad thing that happened that Miriam died. Also, you could also prove this, when Hashem commanded the Jews, take this lamb, take it to your home, it was done specifically on the day of the 10th of the month. Even though, even though on Shabbos you're not really allowed to do business, you're not allowed to do trading. If you didn't have a lamb, you would probably have to trade it in or somehow make a deal to get it, you're, which is also a, normally a forbidden thing to do on Shabbos. You're also not allowed to move a live animal, you know, so simply, it's not a simple thing to transfer a live animal around. It's not a simple, uh, you know, thing to do. You're not allowed to take it for sure from one property to another property. You also have to deal with, since this animal was meant for an offering for Pesach, we have to make sure that there was no blemish in this animal. Which all these things are actually a contradiction to being relaxed and calm and comfort on Shabbos. And nevertheless, we are told to do this on the Shabbos. Meaning that you have to say that there's a positive reason and connection to the Shabbos, not just we're not doing it on the 10th day of the month because Miriam died. There has to be also a positive uplift reason why we're doing it on the Shabbos. And even though you may want to say, here's an interesting uh, 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 thought, you may want to say that before, When we were still in Egypt, it was before the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai. So you could say it was before we had the commandment to keep Shabbos. But the Rebbe says two logical reasons that we can't say that it's no big deal that it was on Shabbos, that God commanded us to take this animal on Shabbos. You must say it's a big deal because we know that our forefathers... Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, and their wives, their families, their kids. Obviously, they kept the Torah and the laws of Shabbos even before it was given to us. They knew about it, so they did it. They had an intuition about this rule. But in addition to that reason, the sages teach us, and a couple of he never brings down the footnote here, a couple sources to this, that while the Jews were in slavery in Egypt, Moses actually went to Pharaoh and he tried to do everything he can to make the suffering less. And one of the things he did was, is he convinced Pharaoh that since Shabbos is a special day for Jews, it's a day of rest, don't put them under slavery on Shabbos. And they say that Pharaoh actually agreed. Shabbos, he didn't force us to work. So even though we didn't have the actual commandment from God yet, but clearly it was a special day for Jews. So driving the point that if Hashem tells us, regardless of all these things that we keep Shabbos and we kept Shabbos to whatever degree. Nevertheless, Hashem should tell us take out your, this animal on the Shabbos, specifically on Shabbos. From all this is a proof that it was, it, it was a must to be done on Shabbos. In other words, there's something unique about Shabbos specifically that's very important here. And this is what's a key thing over here that we're going to deal with here. What is this such a specialty about Shabbos that this is the Shabbos that's established as the date to remember the miracle of what happened that the firstborns, Egyptian firstborns had civil war, they were killing each other. So the Rebbe says, to understand this, we really need to first understand what is Shabbos. A lot of us think of Shabbos on a very basic level, right? You know, it's the day of rest. And, we know the Torah tells us what it means how to rest. It's not, rest is not, is not defined the way most people necessarily think of what's called rest. But the Torah tells us of what's called rest. So we have a whole set of laws. Anything that was work in the Mishkan, we discussed this a couple of weeks ago, anything that was considered to be a definition of work in building the tabernacle is called work, and we have to rest from that. Okay. But he says, let's understand, really, that's just the laws in how to have the rest. The resting on Shabbos. But what is Shabbos? So to understand the essence of Shabbos. There's a a verse in the book of Tehillim. On chapter 92 in the Tehillim. And you're probably familiar with this chapter of Tehillim. Because you recite it several times on the Shabbos. uh, Throughout the prayers. And it's the song of the day for Shabbos as well. We say, you know, you say every day of the week a song of the day. How does that psalm begin? It begins Mizmar Shir Leom HaShabbos, a psalm of song for the day of Shabbos. So the, the uh, Tzemach Tzedek, which is the Alta Rebbe's grandson, he was the third Chabad Rebbe. Actually, his yard site is is the 13th of Nisan, will be Tuesday. So he says a beautiful interpretation on this verse of the book of Tehillim, that it's a song of a song for Shabbos, based on a medrash, that says the following. The medrash says that on Shabbos, the day of Shabbos is meant to be a day of rest, Meaning meaning, it's a day of rest from any thing that could cause damages in this world. That those things that could cause damages won't do any damage. In other words, let's take wild animals. Dangerous animals. Animals that potentially will eat humans. They're dangerous. They can hurt humans. Right? We always think of the lion, right? And many in that field of animals. So the Shabbos is the day. What does it mean the day of Shabbos? It's a day of resting that these wild animals that normally could do damage, they won't damage. Meaning, he's talking about, he's referring to the days when Mashiach comes, which will be the 7,000th year of creation, which will be all Shabbos, that there won't be any animals that will Kill or harm. As the verse says that when Mashiach comes, the wolf and the lamb will be able to live side by side together. That means when is that going to be? In the 7,000th year, meaning in the era of Shabbos. So when you say Mizmor Shir LeYom HaShabbos, what does it mean, the Song of Shabbos? It doesn't mean just the seventh day of the week. By the way, interesting to note, in the Shabbos davening, you say, But you should know that on Yom Tov, when it's not the seventh day of the week, you also say the song for Shabbos. And that's just a proof that this song is not just about the seventh day of the week. It's about the seventh day, which is going to be the days of Mashiach. We are now like in the Friday day, because we're now in the year 5,783 which means we're almost completing the 6,000th year, which means we're basically, if you count every day of creation as 1,000th year, we are now in the Friday late afternoon because we're already 783 years into it. So we're now like literally lighting the candles. We're getting ready for Shabbos to begin. So you're going to see in Pesach on Thursday, Friday, which it's Thursday and Friday is Pesach. You're going to say this song in the prayers because it refers to the days of Mashiach. So that's what the Medrash points out, that when you say the psalm for the day of Shabbos, it means it's a resting period when you won't have damage, things that could cause damage in this world. As you see, the wolf who lives with the lamb, says the Tzema Tzedek on this point, that when you say that those those animals that are the dangerous animals If you could say that, that they're going to be resting they're not going to damage, you could explain this in two ways. One you could say is that when Mashiach comes, they will be eradicated from the world. In other words, we won't have them anymore. That's why they're not going to be damaging. Let's say the lions, that's it. When Mashiach comes, they finish their mission on this world and they're gone. Or other animals like that that are dangerous. So one way of understanding this is that when Mashiach comes, Hashem will take them away from this world. Another way of understanding is, no, not that they're going to have to be taken away from this world. They're still going to be those animals in this world. The only thing is, their nature in them is going to change, and they're not going to be damaging dangerous animals anymore. Now, which way is a greater accomplishment? what, what, What would you think? When Mashiach comes, if these dangerous animals will disappear off the earth, That's a big, huge miracle. Or they'll stay in this world, but they won't be dangerous animals anymore. They'll become, you know, pet animals, domesticated animals, right? They won't be dangerous anymore. Obviously, the second way is actually greater because we all know there's a concept that what's better? If you have, what's a greater accomplishment in other words? If you have light and you have dark, what's greater? that the dark should disappear and it's gone? Or is it better that the darkness transforms itself and now becomes also a pillar of light? The second way is much more advantageous because now you have much more light. You have not just the regular light. You also have the darkness giving light. Right? So the second way is a much higher level of achievement. It's a much greater accomplishment when you take the dark and the dark itself is now becoming great. So now, when Mashiach comes, that's obviously going to be the ultimate time for this to happen, that the dangerous animals will now, not just not just they're not going to damage anymore. So we know that we actually already had this once before. Don't think that all this is only going to be when Mashiach comes. The truth is, this concept already existed in the beginning of creation of the world. We know how many days Hashem created the world, six days, seventh day was rest. The sages teach us, That Friday morning, when it turned light, it's the world stayed light until Saturday night. We had 36 hours of light. Friday night never became dark. The first Shabbos. If you look into the Chumash, I mean, it doesn't bring it down here, but it's a famous concept that the first Shabbos, if you look every day of the week, in, the, in if you look in Chumash Boratius in Genesis, so it says there that Yom Rishon, it was evening and it was day, and it was day one. Then it says it was evening and day, day two. And it says it again for day three, day four, day five, and day six. By day seven on Shabbos, it doesn't say it was evening and it was morning. It just says, it came Shabbos. It doesn't say that it became dark. It doesn't say there was an evening. So they learn from here that actually Shabbos was such a holy day that the darkness transformed into light. It wasn't that there was no night. There was a night, but it was light. So when we're going to have this when Mashiach comes, it's going to be that level where the, the darkness itself will be transformed into light. Same and based on a verse, also until Kayom Kayomyar, night will shine like daylight. Now we start to appreciate what's Shabbos. Shabbos is not that the dangerous stuff is gonna be eradicated from the world. They'll be existing, but they won't be considered to be dangerous anymore. Now the reason. For this transformation on Shabbos. Meaning that the essence of Shabbos itself. The time of Shabbos. That clock of Shabbos transforms itself. Is because we have another quote from the Sages. Rashi brings it down in the second chapter of Chumash. He says. What was the world missing? After the six days of creation, what was the world missing by then? We already had all six days of creation. Was the world missing anything? Yes. What was it missing? It was missing tranquility. We didn't have calmness in the world. Basa Shabbos, Shabbos came and Menucha came. And a calmness came into this world. So we have to understand, we all know there's a famous... Saying from the Magidam, is rich the Baal Shem his disciple, he said that time is a creation from a creation of God too. Time itself is also a creation. In other words, that not just that before the creation of the world there wasn't any creations in this world. That was the beginning of creation. But there was a creation. But even when Hashem created the world, He created time. The concept of time is also a creation. Even though there were things after the creation of the world that's not subject to time. For example, an intellectual thought, intellectuality doesn't have a limitation. It's not limited to anything. You could think like this, you could think like that, you can go back and forth, you could always come up with another thought, another angle, and deeper and deeper. It's so not everything, but time has a creation. So just like things that are inanimate. Things that are vegetation, things that are from the animal world, and things that are are from the world of the human of the human race. All this was created in the six days from nothing. All of a sudden, came something. Time also became a new entity. All of a sudden, we started having a concept of time. There's a day that's twelve hours. There's a night that's twelve hours. There's all of a sudden there's a time around. By the way, the twelve hours then was different than the way it is since we have clocks time daylight was divided up into 12 parts and nighttime divided into 12 parts. Okay, that's the zodiacs and another time. But the point is that there is a concept of time, right? In the winter months, summer months, it could be a different amount of minutes, if you call it, that's the way we use today. It's easy system with clocks. But really it's divided by 12 and 12. But the point is that it's time. Therefore, we understand from this that just like at the first moment when time was created, all of a sudden there was a new idea of time. So, so too, in the time when he created the six days of creation, time of every day that was a new entity, meaning that creations became a new entity from the beginning. And every day was a new entity, a new creation of something else. And that's why we say every day of the week has another job to accomplish by the way, the first seven days of the of the year of the world, so the first six days of creating things, seventh day was a creation of time, of a space, a time called menucha, a time for calmness or relaxedness, however you want to you know say it, tranquility. Every every Sunday after that week is basically an extension of the first Sunday. Every Monday is an extension of the Monday. Every Tuesday for the Tuesday and so on and so forth. So they don't need to have a new creation. We're like, we're, we we ride on the first time creation. But the first seven days had to be a new entity, a new creation. So therefore, what does it mean when you say that Shabbos came and Menucha came? So it comes out from here that we must say that you can't say that it's two separate things. The seventh day and Menucha is two separate entities. Since t- the time of Shabbos came around, automatically Menucha came around at the same time. In other words, when you say time, time is divided by past, present, and future. And that's the way you 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 divide up time. But the time of Shabbos, which is Menucha, is higher than past, present, and future. It's all one entity. The whole 24 hours of Shabbos is one entity of Menucha. That means when Shabbos came and Menucha came, that means that the time of the seventh day came, it's a category of its own. And since the time of Shabbos itself has now transformed the day into a day of menucha, that means Shabbos itself has transformed, like saying, transform a darkness into a light. So, what's the idea of Shabbos? It transforms. It transforms the danger animal into a peaceful animal. It transforms darkness into light. It transforms a regular day into now a day of menucha. And he says there's also an interesting thing, if you think about this, in halacha. Halacha is always the bottom line law. It's not just, you know, the philosophical discussion of it. When you talk about time, there are many things that are connected to time because time is always something that's, you know, moving on and moving on. By the way, you remember the story I once shared with you that um, when the Rebbe got engaged, so his wife, the Rebbezin, uh, his wife-to-be, the Rebbitzin gave the Rebbe a gift when he was engaged. She gave him a gold, a golden watch. Now the Rebbe always understood that everything, especially in the family he was marrying into, which is her his father, future father-in-law is, is the Rebbe, so he knew that everything has to be founded on Torah. So he went to his father-in-law and he asked him, "What's the source in the Torah for this idea that she gave me a golden watch?" So the previous Rebbe answered. That the idea of a golden watch is to teach you that every minute in life is a golden minute, and you never want to waste a golden minute. You see, so so the point is, is that when it comes to time, every minute of time is a special thing, and time progresses and moves on. But the question is, is time of Shabbos? Is it a bunch of individual minutes and hours? Or is Shabbos all one entity of Shabbos? Since time is a creation of B'gad, is it every minute of Shabbos another minute, or is it one big Shabbos? So he says, you could, give in, you could ask this question halachically. What if you have a boy or a girl, whatever, Bar Mitzvah, Bat Mitzvah time, that they turn Bar Mitzvah, Bas Mitzvah, in the middle of the Shabbos? In other words, let's say the child was born 10 o'clock in the morning on Shabbos. So do they turn Bar Mitzvah, 10 o'clock in the morning, 13 years later, or 12 years later? At 10 o'clock in the morning? Or do they turn bar mitzvah the night before when it gets dark? Because we all know our days begin when it's at sundown. Which means that if a bar mitzvah boy was born 10 o'clock in the morning, the night before he's obligated to say the Shema, before, by night shema, he's obligated to pray marav. There's a lot of mitzvahs that he has to do, right? But the question is, in halacha, he says, is it, the begin- if it was on a Shabbos, if it was Shabbos, since Shabbos is all one entity of menucha, is it separate moments or is it all one big thing? So he wants to know when is your bar mitzvah, 10 o'clock in the morning, if that's the hour that you were born, or is it right away when Shabbos begins? And you could ask the same thing about Yom Kippur. If you're born on Yom Kippur 13 years later, do you start fasting the night before or do you start fasting 10 o'clock in the morning? So he brings down, he says, that the Ragacheva, lately, you remember, we brought down the Ragacheva a couple times, Rabbi Yosef Rosen, he was the genius that lived in, the, in Russia, and then later in, 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 um, in, um, in, in um, uh, Latvia. Right? It was a big rabbi there. I just spoke about him. He died in 1936. But he wrote some novelty ideas of that he figured out studying Torah stuff. And he says like this. He says, Minha torah In other words, biblically speaking, he says, regarding Shabbos, every single moment, whatever you do, you would be obligated if you did any sin, even from the beginning of Shabbos. But he says regarding Yom Kippur, it would be different. You would be exempt. Why? Because he says Yom Kippur, it says, It's like it's one day of the year. So the whole Yom Kippur is actually one entity. So therefore, since Yom Kippur is not till 10 o'clock in the morning, therefore you'd be exempt because it's all, it's either you have the whole package of Yom Kippur or you have nothing. But Shabbos, he says, no, Shabbos, every moment is a moment on its own. Every moment is its own moment. It's its own minute. Therefore, you'd be obligated if you did any sin on the entire thing. And we have the same Allah question, by the way, in the counting of the Omer. If you turn, there's 49 days of counting of the Omer. And this is a kind of question that comes up all the time, actually. If a boy turns or a girl turns bar mitzvah bas mitzvah in the middle of the 49 days of the Omer, let's say on day 10, the first nine days, you weren't obligated to count all of a sudden now you're obligated to count the Yomar. Are you supposed to start counting with a blessing from day 10? How do you start counting from 10? You have to always count from one. So it becomes a big question for a bar mitzvah boy, a bas mitzvah boy, what to do? Are you allowed to start counting with a bracha? And the answer is actually in these cases is that how, that biblically speaking they're, they're exempt because they couldn't count the first 10 days. Uh, only rabbinically they say the blessing because... In the rabbinical level, they're obligated. But it's interesting when, when you know, when you analyze the point is about Shabbos that time is an ongoing thing on Shabbos. It's every minute of Shabbos is all part of this one package of the menucha. Similar to this, we have also the idea, for example, of leaving Egypt, going out of Egypt. Actually, had to take time. It was something that progressed over time. For example. We all know that Minak Chabad follows a certain Kabbalistic view that the first night of Pesach, you eat the Afikoman before midnight. Why? Because we know that the Jews left at midnight. Because at midnight, that's when God struck down the firstborns. So that's the moment that broke Pharaoh, so he said, go. So we left at midnight. That means there's a difference in the way we were slaves before midnight, and the way we were at midnight, and the way we were after midnight, and the way we were the next day on the 15th of Nissan this year, let's say Thursday, right? There's big thing. By the way, as a side note, it's good to know, I wasn't born yet at the time, but when the Rebbe became Rebbe in 1950 until 1970... The first night of Pesach, since everybody finished their meal at midnight, what are you going to do the whole night of Pesach? You're not going to want to sleep. It's a, such a holy day of Pesach. So everybody would go to 770 and the Rebbe would come down to fabreng, make a fabrengan at whatever, 1230, 1 o'clock in the morning. He would start a fabrengan. <laughs> Imagine that, how you would feel after your four cups of wine, having your whole meal. Ah, now a time for a clear fabrengan, yeah? They say that the Rebbe used to forbring that forbringing with his eyes closed because a lot of people would fall asleep by the forbringing. They don't want to see it. (laughs) Either way. But imagine that. By the way, no lechayim's during that forbringing because once you bench at the end of the Seder, you're not supposed to eat and drink after the Seder. That's the rule because you don't want the taste of the afikoman to leave your mouth. So you, the afikoman is the last thing that you eat, right? Then you have your fourth cup of wine and that's it. You don't drink or eat that. Unless you must, then you should have a mind that, you know, you'll drink, but for sure not eat. So at that far nothing was served. No lachaim, no wine, nothing. But imagine that, in the middle of the night, this went on, this is the way, that was the custom, the, the, all those years, until the Rebbe's mother-in-law passed away in 1971, so that that stopped, whatever. But the, the point, I think the Rebbe went home for the Seder after that. Till then, he ate in 770 to Seder because his mother-in-law was a widow and she was there from 1950 to 71 and it didn't make sense it made sense for her two daughters to have the Seder with her so the Rebbe stayed in 770 upstairs and had the meal there once they they already had the meal so lots of Hasidim used to get into the meal by the way, since we're close to Pesach, I'll just tell you one thing that I once heard from my father at the Seder. My father was, uh, was single. He got married in 1969. So he once told me that in the, uh, probably it was, I guess, 67, 68, somewhere there, right before he got married. Maybe even 69. He got married after Pesach. Maybe it was that year. Anyway, so he got into the dining room upstairs in 770 where the Rebbe had the Seder. And he was observing the Seder. And one of the things he noticed was that when they served the meal, they had the bowl of soup. So he noticed that different the way most people eat soup is when you get to the bottom of the soup, you tip the bowl towards you, right? And you scoop up with your spoon the soup. But he saw by the Rebbe differently. He saw the Rebbe tilt the bowl outwards away from him and scoop up the soup to finish the soup. So he told me that many, many years later, he read in some book or some article somewhere about laws of mannerisms. And it said there that for mannerisms, you should, always tip your soup bowl outwards away from you so that nothing should shouldn't drip on you just a technical thing instead of tipping the bowl towards you it's easy for it to drip because you don't want to be spill men right no, i'm kidding but that's the point you know <laughs> you don't want it to spill so you want to go you do it to the outwards. so that's the point so that's just a little side note so back to here when it came to the stages of leaving Egypt, it was before midnight, it was midnight, it was after midnight, the 15th day, and like the Talmud itself, itself says that we were redeemed in the evening, but we left by day, and we left in a haste, as you all know, right, that there was such a haste, and the sun came out and baked the matzahs. Clearly we didn't run out by night, right? There was, it wasn't until the daytime where the sun would bake, right? And with all of this, it's the same point of leaving Egypt every single day of all the generations to come. We're, still always, we're supposed to always consider ourselves every day as if we're leaving Egypt. And we're supposed to think to ourselves, if we, God didn't take us out of Egypt, we would still be slaves. So from all of this, we could understand why the Alter Rebbe, back to our original question, why did Al Alter Rebbe call this? Why did he say that this is the day where there was a big miracle? Why can't he just say it was a miracle? What's the advantage to call this big? But now that we understand what's Shabbos and why we precise, we're now going to have to figure out why we precisely celebrate this on Shabbos, not just on the 10th day of the month. So he says from here, you could see that the greatness of this miracle actually was something that stood out more than any other miracle that we know in the history of our people. And that is when the firstborns Egyptians came. What does it mean the firstborn? Firstborn firstborn, means lots of strength. You know, the firstborn is always, you know, it could be be the bully. It shows a lot of strength there. You know, it's, it's the mightiness leading the path. So when you say the firstborns of Egypt, what do we mean? We mean the impure negative forces of Egypt at the peak. In other words, the representative of every family house of their hatred against the Jews. And while the Jews were still in exile, under the rulership of Pharaoh, in the way Pharaoh was still in his mighty, tough fist against us, and Pharaoh with the Egyptians will not and did not want to allow the Jews to leave Egypt, in a time when even the firstborn, the strongest in Egypt, is demanding that we should leave to the point that they were demanding it so strong that it caused a civil war amongst the Egyptian firstborns alone and they killed many of their own like that. And at the same time, while Pharaoh's strengths were so strong, the exile was so strong, that even after they killed each other, he still didn't allow us to go. You see, this was Shabbos. We didn't get permission to leave Egypt till four days later. That's what you call a big miracle that we don't see any comparison to this. In other words, like this. if you're going to say that that the Egyptian monarchy, superpower of the world at the time, collapsed, okay, that's one thing. But here we're showing they didn't collapse yet. The Egyptians were very strong and nevertheless, there was a huge miracle. You see, that's the epitome of the idea of, of a miracle while the Egyptians are still strong. If you're gonna say that we left Egypt because it plots, Egypt you know, just fell apart. In other words, the impurities and the klipa, the negativity just broke and that's the end of them. Okay, that's amazing. But what's greater? Remember, we use this example of Shabbos. What's greater? For God to take away all dangerous animals of the world? Or is it greater that they should stay in the world and while they're in the world, they won't do any damages anymore. It's a much greater novelty. Let's use a secular example here in our days. Some people say of the theory, take computers, internet out of your house. There's a thinking like that. Who needs this? It could lead so much temptations that we don't need. That could lead to all kinds of problems. It could mess with our minds, the brains, our relationships, who knows what. And the question you have to ask to yourself, what's a greater accomplishment? Should we take it out of the house? No more internet? Go back to the flip phones? Is that the greatest accomplishment? Or is it a much bigger accomplishment to have it and learn how to use it wisely? Let's face it. All this technology that Hashem gave us was for, is for a reason. There's so much goodness that comes out of it, of course. And that's the purpose of it. So what's the betterness? To get rid of it or to transform it, to make sure it gets used only for good. The much greater accomplishment. As a matter of fact, that's the purpose why we have it in this world. It's the same thing with a the same thing with anything that exists in this world, almost anything. If it's kosher, it doesn't mean that you need it, but it means that it's permissible and if you could figure out a way how to make it holy and use it out, that's the greatest accomplishment. And that's why this is called Shabbat HaGadol. Shabbos means the greatest concept of the idea of transforming negativity into something holy, transforming the darkness into light, transforming the dangerous animals into being non-dangerous anymore, which is something that's going to happen on Shabbos, so too in our case here. This is called Shabbos Agado because Mitzrayim Biv Chorehem, the Egyptians themselves transformed the the klipa, the impurity that we didn't have to kill them they themselves while Pharaoh was still at its epitome of his strength and he did not even let us go out after nevertheless they killed each other that's what you call a big miracle in other words their superpower was still in existence and nevertheless a miracle happened that's why it's called a big miracle this helps us also to understand I'm just going to mention this briefly here but he goes into this concept here that the Alter Rebbe in his Shulchan Aruch, in the Code of Jewish Law, he says that the day we left Egypt was on a Thursday, and therefore the 10th of, Ni- which was the 15th of Nisan on Thursday, therefore if you make a calculation backwards to the Shabbos, it was the 10th of Nisan. And since the 10th of Nisan is the day Miriam died, therefore we don't do it on that day, we do it only on, uh, on the Shabbos always. But the Rebbe says, the fact that the Rebbe even mentions this about the Thursday, the calculation, we could all make this calculation by ourselves. We didn't. We could just go to the Talmud. The Rebbe, in the Code of Jewish Law, is not about bringing me history dates. He doesn't do that. That's, that's not what the code of law is. The fact that he went into an historical small calculation here in these two lines to tell you that on the fifth day we went out and therefore, and that was a Thursday, and the fifth day of the week, therefore the tenth day of the week was on a Shabbos, that must be telling us something. And what that's telling us is that there's a process of leaving Egypt. The first thing, and this is now kind of going into the, the spiritual Crooks of the whole thing here The first thing to remember is That there's a goal when God says On the 10th day I want you to take this lamb to your house And this led to the Egyptian firstborns Killing each other And you could say this on two ways Either you could say that taking the animal on the 10th day on itself had nothing to do with an introduction that we're going to bring this animal on the 14th of Nisan on the Wednesday era right before we leave Egypt, we're going to bring this as an offering. Or you could say, no, the whole point of taking this animal on the 10th of Nisan was in order to bring it on the 14th of Nisan. Says the al that that's why he says these words to hint to you to this idea that the entire point of the 10th day, which is transforming. Forming negativity into, in other words, making a miracle in the hardest and darkest of time shows much more the greatness of a miracle. And that's emphasized by him telling you something about the fifth day day of the week, which is the day we actually leave Egypt. And that's why he makes that little calculation, just to hint to you, to re-emphasize this point. Now, based on all of this, That the miracle of the big Shabbos is like the idea of changing, of transforming, sorry, of transforming darkness into light. We now can understand a little bit of a mystical idea, a Kabbalistic toucher. This little Kabbalistic toucher is the following. We have what's called, we all know about the ten sephiros. The ten spheres, the ten, the ten uh, uh, illuminations. They call the ten spheros, which is broken up into two groups: the intellect and the emotions. Every human being has your intellect, which is your head, and you have emotions, which is sourced from your heart. And we learned this already in the Tanya. In the brain, the intellect is is broken up into three levels of intellect, wisdom, understanding, knowledge, which is chokma bina das acronym for Chabad. Okay, then you have the seven emotions. Now, in the seven emotions, you have Chesed, kindness; Gvura means restraint; Teferis, beauty; Netzach, victory the victorious component of a person. Haid means glory. Yesod means foundation. Malchus means sovereignty, kingship. Now, it says like this, the seven days of the week correspond to the seven emotions, which means that Shabbos is the level of malchut. Shabbos is the level of sovereignty, of kingship. That's why we call Shabbos the Shabbos queen. Shabbos Malkusa. Right, you say in Lichadodi Likras Shabbos, right? You call her the Kalo, but she's like the Queen Shabbos Malkusa, right? The Shabbos Shabbos is the Queen because that's it's the Kingship Shabbos because that's the day where Malchut, the level of Kingship, is higher than the rest of the emotions, even of intellect. Now, Malchus itself sovereignty on its own really is something that is not so strong it's really dark why because we know that the only power a king has or any leader has is only from the people in other words people pay taxes to the government and so on so the king has something without the people he has nothing so really the king himself has nothing he's only a something because of everything else But he himself is a nothing. Meaning in the spirituality that malchus, sovereignty really is the idea that it burns anything that's in its way of serving God. There should be no existence of anything. That's why malchus is Shabbos. There's nothing material in its way. It's all complete. The world, everything like, in other words, everything that's opposite of holiness is gone. It's only, it's completely humble. To Hashem. Now, even though Shabbos is, like we said before, it's resting from any wild animals and all the dangerous animals. Because the main but the main time when that's gonna happen, when there won't be any more dangerous animals, there'll be one big Shabbos is gonna happen when Mashiach comes. Before that, it's a much lower level of Shabbos. You know, you see a greatness of Shabbos, but you don't see it as strong. And how much more so for the Jews that were in Egypt? Before we had the commandment to keep Shabbos. For sure, Shabbos wasn't a revealed concept in, in, the, in the way it's supposed to be. So, here, the Altareba points out that the main miracle here, why it's called Shabbos HaGadol, the whole Shabbos is called big, is because it's connected with the revelation of us leaving Egypt. Because when we left Egypt, what we say is in the Kabbalistic terms is that the concept of intellect was revealed, Bina was revealed. The level of Bina, Bina is a level of freedom. Chachma means you have wisdom, you have an idea. Bina means you have the comprehension. You start understanding something. So when you have Bina, it's like a freedom thing, and Bina is the source to 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 the to gvuras, to restrain and all the other emotions comes out from all of this, comes out from this, that. It's like the idea of transforming. The the firstborn Egyptians, they killed themselves. Meaning that the source of transforming and sweetening something that's dangerous happens on a Shabbos. Because Shabbos is the day of rest from anything dangerous. And it's in a way of Gadol, Shabbos HaGadol. Gadol means it transforms it Not just that the negativity is not there The negativity is now being used for something good And he's soon going to point out something fascinating about this As he brings down from the Arizal Arizal was one of the most famous uh, Kabbalists Arizal said on the verse that says That these are days On the holidays are days To remember and to practice He says if you remember the holiday Well automatically that's going to help you to practice it well. In other words, even though we already had the holiday of Purim when we were slaves and, or servants at least to King Yachashverosh, right? And we're still, we're still not fully free. We still have all our limitations in life. And we live in a very dark time. It, as the expression is, it's dark and it's double dark and many times more dark these days like almost the way it was for the Jews in the 10th of Nisan, right before we left Egypt. so it, But a Jew could do something about it. What could you do? You could go take, schlep your lamb, and bring it for an offering. Meaning, as the Medr said, and we spoke about this a number of weeks ago in a different sicha, take it, schlep the lamb means, go away, take your lamb, and say, I'm not going to participate in idol worship anymore. What does that mean? Pull yourself away from anything that even remotely seems to be a foreign entity for a Jew to serve idol worship. God forbid, we would never even think of that for a Jew. That's a Jew is obviously not even capable to get close to that. But it's to stay away from our evil inclination as much as we can and attach ourselves to the positive thing. In other words, pull yourself away is the service. Called stay away from bad. Bring it for an offering. Is attach yourself to doing mitzvahs. You'll, and when we do this. The service to Hashem, With strength. With devotion. Complete um, humility. And this will have an effect. Also on another Jew. As the expression is. Take the lamb for your household. Meaning. You want to affect all those that are around you. And when you do this, we will be successful to also affect all people that are around you. And we will to the point that we will also be able to affect even the nations of the world. As it said, that the firstborns, which will of the of the nations, they will be there to help and make better and good for the Jews. Just like as the verse says, whatever happened when we left Egypt. Is also going to happen to us soon. With the coming of Mashiach. So while we're in the exile. We could also merit to a big miracle. And the Jews prepare themselves. When we're going to see the big miracles. Us. The elders. Our sons and daughters. In a way that we go out of this exile. With Mashiach. And this is a sikha that was said. On this coming Shabbos date, Tzav. Shabbos Tzav. Shabbos HaGadol. In the year of 1975. In Lekut TeSichas Volume Seventeen. Now, just to finish with a small story, it's hard not to finish with this story about how a non-Jew helped us out, all of us here. So this t- story takes us back about actually almost it's actually exactly ten years when you think about it. It was a few two weeks before Pesach, let's say about a week ago, and I called somebody on the other side of uh, on the West Coast. And I said to this person that I know you once tried to help me to introduce me to the manager of the building that we have on St. Clair. I said, could you please help me? I need to meet this. I knew it was a Jewish guy that was managing it. I said, I need to speak to this guy. We're desperate for a building. We need to, be, we need to meet the guy. He said, no problem. I'll give you his phone number. I said, tell me his address. He told me his address. lives close, almost up by Steele's, almost by Thornhill. I took a pound of matzo with me. I took one of my boys, we jumped into the car, I went to the house, I knocked on the door and I said, is Mr. So-and-so there? The woman said, he's not home now, I'm sorry. Anything I could do to help? I said, listen, let me tell you something. There's a big fire going on on St. Clair now. She said, a fire? I said, listen, it's a fire for Yiddishkeit. There are number of families that wanna put their children in Jewish education And we cannot accommodate them. And I know your husband owns, manages a building for somebody on St. Clair. I need your help. She said, are you the rabbi at St. Clair and Bathurst? And I said, yes. She said, I have a big problem with you. I said, lady, get in line. You're not the first person. So she she said, listen, my daughter lives a couple blocks from St. Clair and Bathurst. And she has two children. And they're on a waiting list. And they can't get into your preschool. I said to myself, Hashem, you set it up so perfect. (laughs) I said to the lady, listen, if you get your husband to help me to get our hands on this building, then your grandchildren have tuition free at our school. The next day, her husband called and I said, listen, here's the story. Last time through this friend, we gave you an offer and you said you'll take it to the Jamaican guy that owns the property. We never heard back. It's now a couple days before Pesach. I'm going to up the offer in an unprecedented way. It's like this crazy concept. But Hashem did crazy things. He took us out of Egypt. We have to be crazy too. And I said, I'm giving you a new offer. I'm going to give me your email, please. And I said, I'm going to give it to you. And I'm giving you 48 hours to get this thing signed back to me. And I don't know why, but I said these words. I said, if you don't get it signed back, this will be the last time you and me talk to each other. <laughs> I don't even know why I said that. Anyways, he says okay, okay, okay. He's like a sweet, short, sweet Jewish guy. He said, okay, 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 send it. So I prepared the offer a few hours later. He added in his email. And the next day he calls me. He says, listen, Rabbi, to get a hold of this guy, he lives in Jamaica. I have to call a hotel. They have to send a message to the guy. He has to come to the hotel to talk to me. He doesn't, he doesn't want to sell. I said, listen, don't. Call me about anything. If you don't have good news, you have 48 hours. Another, You have another 24 hours. Anyway, the next day, which may have been like today's date, I don't remember exactly the day, but it was a few days before Pesach. He calls me back and he says, you know, I thought of an idea. He said, this Jamaican guy has a lawyer and a friend who, not a Jewish guy, and he lives in Orlando, Florida. I'm going to call him and see if he could help us to convince this guy to sell it. He calls the guy in Orlando and a lawyer, non-Jewish guy. He says, let's make this three-way call. They make a three-way call. They get the guy from Jamaica and they had a two and a half hour phone call. And the non-Jew in Orlando convinced this Jamaican guy to sell it. He told him like this. He said, 10 years ago, there was a property that you own in Orlando that was available for sale and you got a big offer for it, around a million dollars. And you turned it down Because you thought you can get more. He said, today, you can't even get $150,000 for it. He said, if the Jewish community wants this building for the Jews to help them, you know, for what they need, I think you should sell it. And the guy said, you know, you're right. I'm going to sell it. And he he sold it to us. And But the point is, this is, I think, what the Rebbe is saying here at the end of the sicha. He's saying is that if you... Pull yourself, bring that lamb, do your part, bring it closer, make the step. This will influence those around you to the point that it will even influence the non-Jews around you to help the Jews. To help them, to serve Hashem and to do what they have to do. So this I think is the point. So with this we'll conclude the formal part of the class.